Father, we're joined together tonight, Lord, as you've called us here. And Lord, we're here because we're willing to be here and, uh, and we want to be here and we want to learn from your word, Lord, about the end times. Because the end times, Lord, is they're, they're all authored by you. And Lord, so I pray now that because of the diversity in this group, Lord, that you would open our eyes and open our ears and mostly, Lord, open our heart. That as we study, as we get comfortable, as we ask questions, as we find out that it's just okay. It's okay, Lord, to be concerned about the end times. It's okay, Lord, that the times that we live in now are perilous. And just living in this time in history, Lord, can be scary in some respects. And yet, with all of that, you are in complete control. And you are the Alpha and the Omega. You have written the final chapter. And Lord, we know the ultimate end. And yet, what concerns us, Lord, sometimes is what happens between now and then? So, God, we're going to rely on on you. We are going to be dependent on you. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to to fill us with wisdom and insight. And Lord, I ask you, God, that you would give us grace for those that would be waiting to come to some determination as to where they where they stand on the end times. And God, extend grace where we could perhaps even disagree, Lord. And we could disagree without disengaging from one another. So we can agree to disagree on some of the controversies because we tend to want to put a human spin on on things, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would empower us not to do that. That we would look to your word, God, for what it tells us. And that we would debate even vigorously. And that there would be freedom in this place over the next several weeks, God, as we come to try to understand what you want to teach us, Lord, in terms of where we are in our walk with you. And we celebrate now, Lord, that you have brought us together and and that you want to speak to us. So, Lord, we give you this time with open arms, open hearts, open ears, open eyes, and with open communication with one another, Lord. We give you the time and ask you to teach us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Some friends of mine got together and do this actually regularly to watch the USC-UCLA football game every year. It's quite an event. As long as UCLA wins, everything is fine normally. But this last year we got together, and it's it's a group of us, and it's quite spirited because there tends to be a rivalry between those two institutions of higher learning. And this last year, we decided that we were going to watch, because it had been taped, or T-Vote, or whatever it is, we had last year's game. 
So we got together and we watched last year's game first, which was, I thought, kind of cool because UCLA did win. And I always think that's good. In any event, we watched last year's game. Now, it was kind of interesting because what do you suppose the atmosphere was like with a group of guys that were watching a game from the previous year that they had already seen? We knew the end. The outcome was already clear. It took on a whole new meaning because we had watched this game that we already had previously seen, and even though we had forgotten some of the exciting plays, uh, we knew what the outcome was. We knew the score. We knew who won. What do you suppose the difference was after we watched that game and the real game came on last year and we began to watch together the live contest? What was the difference? Unknown. Completely unknown. Nobody had a clue what was going to happen. Oh, we had our opinions and our desires, but we didn't know the outcome. Really interesting. The outcome of the second game, which was live, was still in the future. End times theology is a lot like watching two football games in one afternoon. One that's already happened and one that is about to happen. Because as we look at Scripture and what God has told us and God has foretold is going to be happening in the future from a prophecy point of view, some of the prophecy has already taken place. And depending on your point of view and how you interpret Scripture, some people would say that there is some prophecy that has not yet taken place. So it's a really interesting discussion and we have to know going into an end times study that there are a couple of camps and one camp would suggest to you that every significant prophecy that needs to take place has already taken place. And others would say, not quite so fast. Some things haven't taken place yet that the Bible foretold needs to take place in order for events to unfold. So, events are relatively clear. Prophecy has a little challenge to it. Now, how many prophecies do you suppose are in the Bible <laughs> relative to, no, just relative to one topic? And that is the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. From the time that the Bible in Genesis is written until the time Jesus is actually resurrected, how many prophetic writings are in Scripture that foretell that event? Close. 
again, depending on your definition of a prophecy, approximately 135. Approximately. There are 135 prophetic scriptures that would foretell that the, that the Messiah would be born at a specific place, in a specific way, within a specific line, okay, genealogically speaking, and then the events of his life were foretold that he would die a horrific death and be resurrected and that he was Messiah. 135. Now, what do we know about that event from a prophecy point of view? What do we know? It happened. It's fulfilled. See, it's really interesting. Now, think about that for just a second. These prophecies about Jesus... The most significant event in the history of mankind took place. And there isn't a person sitting in this room that doesn't believe it. We all believe it. Why? There it is. God's Word not only tells us about it, but if you want to go farther than that, you can look at all kinds of historical evidence, all of which supports and corroborates what is foretold in Scripture and then historically told to us about those events. So it was not only foretold, but then it was told. Interesting. So why do I bring that up as an introduction to talking about what's going to happen in the end times? It's important to know that the Bible is really clear about what is going to happen. And the Bible is really unclear about when. About when. What are some other controversies about the end times? Not only when certain things are going to happen, but in what order might they happen. So, my prayer for us as we get into a study of end times, and this is not going to be a deep theological uh, debate relative to end times theology, it is going to be a good, strong, foundational discussion, kind of like end times theology 101, because we need to start there. Okay? And you heard me share recently that during my study, I was very challenged because I took a very strong position because that's what I was taught and I had never really studied, but I was taught it by people that I respected and knew and understood uh, to be more versed, certainly more well-versed biblically than I. And so I camped out on a position until I started reading R.C. Sproul's book, The End Times According to Jesus. And I got frustrated because he challenged my thinking relative to how and when things are going to happen. And I'll share with you later where I ended up 
after, uh, after a reasonably exhaustive study of the, of the topic. Because it's important to study end times. Why? Prepared so we can be prepared. It's important so we can be prepared for what? For? For Christ's second coming. What do we need to be prepared for his second coming for? Is that good English? What do we need to be... Well, you get the idea. Why do we need to be prepared for a second coming? It's, but what are we supposed to be prepared for? What, are you going to store food in your pantry? Oh. Okay. And what does that mean? Oh, so in terms of guarding ourselves against those things that might be satanic, we might be attacked because of the fact that we are followers of Jesus. Um, and we're waiting for his second coming that some would suggest. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look within Christendom, you would see in some camps, people would say that he has already come. And then you would see people that would suggest to you out of the same Bible that I read and that you read, you would see people that would come up with a theological position that not that that completely contradicts that 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 he he is coming, um, and some would say that he is coming to take us all with him, and others would suggest by reading the same scriptures that no, that's not going to take place at all. We're going to look at some of these words in a minute, but but the that that Christ is going to rapture the church, which could happen in the next. 45 seconds, according to some, theologically. Uh, but that's not Jesus' coming. His second coming, he is going to come with us. He is going to come back with us. Um, there, it's interesting. It's the same Bible. It's all of God's Word. And yet, people take different positions on what it means based on what they believe it says. So, having said that, we need to come to some basic understanding of how we're going to approach the end times because, Pat, you may not agree with me when we're done. And that's okay. It's okay. Because what we need to come to terms with in looking at end times theology is... Where do I, not me, I'll pull Pastor Richie, where do, take your finger, where do I come down on what's going to happen? And why does it matter? Why does it matter that you come down somewhere and take some kind of a position on, on a topic that is considered a little bit controversial. Why is that important that we study the end times and come to terms with, even if we have to struggle our way through it, come to terms with, hmm, what's, what's God trying to tell me? Why, does it, why is that important? It brings comfort to you in some way. Okay, it brings comfort. Because that's where you've landed. That's what you, what you think and so 
Okay. Okay, so if you're satisfied that you've come down and on, on taking a position on, on uh, what's going to happen and perhaps even the order in which things are going to happen, um, it, it, you can be satisfied and it brings you some comfort. What else? Okay. So God tells us, essentially, know what you believe and why you believe it. Gives us something to hold on to. Why do we need to hold on to it, Steve? Absolutely. That's a, that's a good answer, too, because we want to be able to be uh, confident and firm in our understanding of what God's Word is teaching us and graceful in the areas where we might have a disagreement with somebody. I'll tell you, it's a real challenge to have a disagreement with R.C. Sproul because he was a brilliant theologian. So now I put it out of the bag. I don't agree with him on that one item. Virtually everything else I do, but I don't agree with his theology and uh, it took me two months of studying his position. <laughs> to come to that conclusion. But, uh, but it's interesting. And it's a challenge not to agree with somebody that you, that you highly respect as a really brilliant man who has devoted his entire life to studying the Bible. That's what he does. Wow. It's okay. And, and you know what R.C. Sproul would say? That's okay. That's okay. So I want to just make sure that everybody's comfortable that it's okay. It's okay not to know right now where we sit. It's okay not to know. And it's okay if you come to a position on the end times on when the rapture is going to happen. No. When in order it's going to happen. Not the date. But you know how it's going to happen. Uh, and as you come to an understanding, uh, pray. Pray that God would give you the wisdom. And then wherever you come down, if we come down in two or three different areas within the context of this church family as it relates to end times theology, no, it's okay. So you're saying we should disengage our thought process about it, just people That's right. That's right. Because Susan said we need to know, because we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. So, you know, why have we put our faith in Jesus Christ? We, we need to be able to tell somebody that. Okay? And it's important also to understand end times theology because it will shape our life today. And what we think and what we do and what we say will be impacted based on where we land relative to end times theology. And what I mean by that is if you come down in the camp where you believe that prophetically, and we will look at this over the next few weeks, if you believe after we study and debate and are challenged by what God's Word says that the rapture of the church, meaning those that believe, will be taken up and those that don't will be left behind. And if you believe that that can happen at any moment, it had better shape 
the rest of your life and how you interact with people. Well, he won't. <laughs> because, Pat, regardless of what you think about the rapture, there will be two. There will be two kinds of people at the rapture: those that are taken up, and those that are left behind. And the difference will be: those taken up will have put their faith in Jesus Christ and believe, and those that are left behind won't. And but trust me. Churches are filled with people that are going to be left behind. And that's the scary part. Okay? But that's the only thing to be afraid of. Not what's going to happen, because it is God's sovereign plan that we're going to be studying over the next few weeks. It is His sovereign plan. And it is based on His love for us. And the only scary part is, what Pastor Richie and I always like to say is, Hey, how are you doing with the Lord? And people, when people say, oh, not worth a hoot, I love that answer. Because it means that they care. And that they're repentant that perhaps they're not walking the walk, you know. They might be trying to talk the talk, but they're not walking the walk. And it's bothersome to them. And that's, a, that's an okay place to be. Isn't it? It's an okay place to be. But where, where it's not an okay place to be is when Jesus said, hey, away from me, I never knew you. Because there's nobody in this room that knows anybody else's heart, I assure you. You can think you might know somebody's heart, but that is the providence of God. And we are not to be judgmental of what somebody's heart is, regardless of what they say, think, or do. And so, when it says don't be judgmental, don't judge people on that. You can judge other things, but that's not something that is within our purview to, to judge. That is, that, is, um, uh, that is the purview of God, not us. So, having said that, we have to then deal with the art and science of biblical interpretation. So, just a few foundational things, and then we're gonna then we're gonna start diving in. What does it mean that there is an art and a science to interpreting the Bible? Because if there are people that come down in different camps, like people that believe that Christians are going to be raptured after a tribulation period, meaning that that Jesus isn't going to take the church out of, out of the world, out, off of the earth, uh, before the rapture. And other people believe that it's going to happen before. I mean, uh, some people believe that it's going to happen after the tribulation. Some, some believe it's going to happen before. Okay? Right? Oh, well, there's mids. There's, there's actually more than that, but we're going to stick with the basics here. Um, <laughs> and, and we're going to talk about we're going to talk about because we have to define some terms. But why is it why is it important? How can people come to different conclusions from the same from the same Bible? Olivia, you and I can read the same Bible, and as it relates to end times theology, we might come to a different conclusion. I did with R.C. Sproul. I came to a different conclusion, which really bothered me because I think he's a lot smarter than me. Mm-hmm. But but how can that happen? Okay. It could be interpreted differently. Okay. And so there's both an art and a science to biblical interpretation. 
And so in the things that are non-essential, what does that mean? Not critical to what? Salvation. salvation. In the things that are not critical to salvation, where we extend a lot of grace, okay, where we might have a difference of opinion on something that's not essential and it's totally okay. For example, I, I use Baptism. this one. Pardon me? Baptism. Baptism. Okay. Uh, how, about, how about losing your salvation? I use this one a lot. Britt Merrick, who is the senior pastor or the lead pastor or whatever they... Whatever, whatever big, big boy pastors call themselves these days, um, uh, at Reality, founding pastor at Reality, um, uh, preached a message on losing your salvation. I, I have the CD. It's in my truck. I carry it with me all the time uh, because I'm not a believer in losing your salvation. And he used several scriptures, about three, uh, to, um, uh, to support his position that you could lose your salvation. Well, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. And I can point you to about 20 scriptures to support that particular position. So is my position right because I have 20 scriptures to back up my argument and his is wrong because he has three? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Would I divide with him over that particular issue? Of course not. Because salvation is important, isn't it? And losing it would be horrific, wouldn't it? And yet, really, if you take a look at the fine line between those two doctrinal positions, they're very close. Because if you, if you commit yourself to Christ and then reject Him later, those that believe you can lose your salvation would say, well, you've rejected Christ, so you've lost the salvation you had. Others of us would say, well, really, if you, if you professed uh, uh, faith in Christ and you rejected him later, it was probably just a said faith. It wasn't a heartfelt faith. And what does Jesus want? Your heart. And he gets your heart imperfectly because nobody in here has a perfect one, right? So there's a theological difference there that's based on how we interpret Scripture. And so for purposes of us going forward, we are going to use the literal interpretation of Scripture where we can. Okay? Where is it in Scripture where we can't use literal interpretation? Revelation. That's right. In Revelation. So in Revelation, for example, when Revelation talks about these wild beasts, some of them with multiple heads and body parts of different kinds of animals and they fly and they're full of eyes and... Um, that is very apocalyptic uh, literature, okay? And you can't take that literally. There is a way to interpret that, and we'll look at that when we get there. And yet there is other literature within Scripture that we can take absolutely literally. And if it makes sense to, to interpret the Bible literally, we will. We will. And even with that, you have to be a little bit careful. And so now you know why there's lots of different denominations and there's a lot of different um, uh, beliefs within Christendom on things that are not essential. Okay? Now, um, you know, that's an that's a awful lot of setup to say that, um, that we have to extend a tremendous amount of grace 
to one another by virtue of the fact that this is a supernatural book and we are going to be looking at supernatural events that are going to take place. And they are going to take place. I can assure you of that. And it is all supernatural. So, show of hands, who has an absolute 100% handle on all the supernatural things that God tells us about in His Word? <laughs> yep, that's the same problem I got. <laughs> okay, so that's why we have to extend a lot of grace to one another. Amen? All right. So. Do you think God put some of that stuff in there so that there be different differences in what you believe in each of Now, that's a good question. <laughs> it's hypothetical, of course. And so it's a challenge to answer that question. So, why did God challenge us with the type of literature that he used in his word because some of it is again uh, uh, some of it is parables and some of it is poetry and some of it is apocalyptic which is extreme there's hyperbole in scripture there's there's all these different uh, that's why a lot of people really struggle with scripture Pat you and I have had this discussion why is the Old Testament so difficult well I have another question why is it so big compared to the New Testament ooh See, there's nothing, there's no coincidence, okay? And why is it a challenge to try to understand the apocalyptic type literature in Revelation, in Daniel, in the prophets? Um, you ever read that in the Old Testament? And, you, and b besides who begat whom, you know, we rush through that because I can't pronounce those names anyway. Who can? You know? All the ites, you know, the Amorites and the Shiites and the thisites and the thoseites. I just say, okay, the ites, and I turn the page, you know. But why? So why? So why is that? Why do we rush through that stuff? Because it's a challenge, isn't it? Numbers. It's hard to read numbers. All these different It's very difficult, and I will I will share this with you uh, just by way of illustration. Um, I have a, a friend, most of you know him, uh, Dr. Bill Rhodes. And Dr. Bill Rhodes uh, is, a, is a very humble man, and he's a surgeon. But you would never know it if you just met him and if you went to one of his home Bible studies. Because he's also a brilliant man, and he is an Old Testament scholar. And when Bill Rhodes does a Bible study in his living room, he doesn't use a Bible and he doesn't use notes. Uh-oh. <laughs> because he can also read it in English and Hebrew. Uh-oh. <laughs> it makes me want to listen. But also, because of that, he understands clearly the language of the New Testament. Because in order to understand the New Testament really thoroughly, you really have to be a student of the Old. But most of us, guilty, most of us have difficulty camping out in the Old Testament, don't we? All the kings and in chronicles and it goes on and on and this king didn't follow the Lord and he was only in power for two years and it's always the son that gets the kingdom after the father gets 
massacred because people don't like him and it just goes on and on. I can't keep the name straight and it's like, it's challenging. And yet, I've found over time that the more you understand that, the clearer, the clearer the New Testament is to us. It's a whole new covenant and everything is changed in the New Testament and to understand that you really have to understand the old. And we're here for about 80 years, plus or minus, right? And I've discovered that that's not enough time. If you really want to get into God's Word, isn't that amazing? 80 years isn't enough time. And I think, to answer your question, is that God, in His infinite wisdom, knows us intimately and knows what our interests are and knows that in order to engage us, that if he gave us his word that went something like this, I love you, so I created you, I gave you a perfect place, and I gave you free will. You messed up. Now you're going to have trouble, and I'm going to send somebody to fix it for you. All you got to do is follow them. If you don't, things are going to get real bad. If you do, they're going to get real good again. End of story. I think there's a reason that God wrote that love story to us, which is the story about redemption and made it challenging. Because who can understand the mind of God? We can't. All right. So we have to start by going into this study and we are going to study starting tonight eschatology. Isn't that great? What is eschatology? <laughs> What's that? Which book is that? <laughs> the book of eschatology. <laughs> what is eschatology? Somebody said it. I just know. Study of the end times. That's that's a fancy word for what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, and we're going to we're going to dive in because you know what? Eschatology is the study of what's going to happen. And I think that we're here because it's really interesting. I think we want to know what's going to happen. When we studied heaven, I think we learned a lot. I don't know about you. I learned a lot about heaven that I didn't know. And then we're going to find out that in throughout the scripture, this is not a study in the book of Revelation. This is a study of eschatology. That is end times theology. What God has predetermined is going to happen. And it is going to be fascinating because some of you have, as a matter of fact, we have a test. We're going to take a test. This is a class. I'm the teacher. I get to make the rules. And this is going to be the best test you've ever taken. No. Because here's the rules. The rules are simply this. It's a quiz. And the rules are, you don't have to put your name on it. You don't have to date it. You don't have to answer any question on it if you don't want to. And you get to actually identify what the questions are. You can either turn it in or not. And there's no grade. Man, I've been looking for a, I've been looking for a class that has that kind of test for a really long time. Now, but here's the basis. Before we get started, 
I thought it would be fun to just pass out this little quiz that's called the end times and then be able to identify one, two, ten, thirty questions, comments, positions, uh-oh, worries, concerns, fears about the end times. Because like the football game, You see, we only know that the first game is over. And we know who won that game. We also know who wins the second game. But what we don't know, probably, is what's going to happen. Is anybody going to get hurt? Is it going to go into overtime? Are there going to be substitutions? Am I going to lose my spot? Are they going to renew my contract? Those are the kinds of things that we don't know about the end times. And we got a pretty good handle on living. But we don't have a real good handle, I'm quite confident, on exactly what's going to happen. So I want to give you the opportunity to make a couple of notes and I'm going to give you some time to do this. And again, the rules are you can do anything you want and there's no grade. So ready? Well, when your paper hits there. going to Disneyland and going on It's a Small World and then that song is not out of your head for like three years. So what are we afraid of? What are we concerned about? Are we adamant about a position that we've taken? Does it matter? Okay, enough of that. Take your time. Take your time. There's no hurry.
Does anybody have a hard and fast position they've taken generally on the end times? What's going to happen? Have, have you taken a hard and fast position that this is the way it is? No, but I have some scriptures <laughs> that I thought it was like that. Okay. My Bible is marked up with Steve? rapture passages. Uh, God's going to do it His way. <laughs> Amen. It's going to be messy. It's going to be messy. We should be ready. As long as we're prepared, what difference does it make? I'm going to challenge that. <laughs> but that's okay. We're not going to change God's mind. I think we're all comfortable with that. But does it does it does it make a difference? Yes, it does. And the reason it makes a difference is because it will impact, as I said earlier, it will impact what we do today and tomorrow and until it happens. Okay? It will make a difference. It's, it won't make a difference to you because you will have taken a position. But it certainly could make a decision, uh, uh, an impact on somebody else. But if I'm prepared and my mission is to go out and teach the gospel mm-hmm. and make disciples, mm-hmm. how is it not going to impact them as well as me? Well, let's say, let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say that somebody has taken the position that, uh, that the rapture is going to take place, everybody gets a second chance, and that there really isn't any hell, and that uh, during the tribulation period, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things that people don't have, we haven't even defined yet, uh, and during that period, everybody gets a, gets a shot, and, um, and, we're, and we're all going to heaven anyway. What if that's the position you take? Oh, I'm telling you, if that's your position, you're going to be a pretty lazy Christian. Because it won't matter. It won't. It won't matter a bit. The problem is, of course, that's theologically very wrong, and it does matter. And time is short. And most everybody here, I think, would recognize that time is short. And God calls us to do certain things while we're here. Being ready is certainly one of them. And there's even more action that we're supposed to take beyond that. So as we talk about these topics over the next few weeks, we have to understand what they are. And some people don't even know what the definition of some of these terms are. So eschatology, that's the first one. So you are now all eschatologists because we're going to spend the next few weeks studying the end times. So tomorrow you can impress somebody if they say, well, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm an eschatologist. They won't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Depending on the community that you're in. Okay? And we have to talk about we have to talk about prophecy. What is prophecy in the Bible? The foretelling of future events. How did God use prophecy just very generally throughout scripture? Through prophets. Okay? And so uh, we even know what happened to all the prophets. They weren't popular. They just weren't popular. Okay? It's kind of like church today. It's not very popular to be told that you're not in, you're not in charge. 
especially in our culture. It's just not very popular. And what about the rapture? What is the rapture? Oh, so it doesn't exist. So there's no such thing as the rapture because the word doesn't exist in the Bible, right? Oh. Oh. Okay, so the word isn't in the Bible, but the event is. What is it? The gathering up. Oh, are we going to the Ohio Valley Inn? No. <laughs> okay, so the rapture is a is is interesting because rapture is one of those words. Kind of. What's the other word that isn't in the Bible, but it is clearly biblically critically important. Trinity. The other T word is what I was thinking of. Yeah, the Trinity. Yeah, so the, the, the principle clearly is taught throughout all of Scripture, and yet that word doesn't exist. And some of the cults would take that literal in terms of this not being a triune God that we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Just because the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. That's what they would use. Interesting. So the rapture is going to be a future event where all believers are going to... What's going to happen to all believers? We're going to be caught up with who? With Jesus himself. Where? And who's going? Which believers? Okay, believe. Dead or alive or both? Oh, dead, dead, alive or both? It depends on what chart you're talking about. Oh. Oh, okay, so now we got to deal whether it's going to be a pre or a post tribulation rapture, don't we? Okay. So what's happening is, is Jesus is going to gather his church. And then we're going to look at whether that's going to happen, when that's going to happen. What about all the other religions? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to look at that very specifically, Pat. Yep. Only Christians are going to be taken up. And everybody else is going to be left behind because they rejected Christ. Except, except there's, a, there's even a problem with that. Because God is going to deal with the church and He's also going to deal with Israel. Okay, because the Jews are God's chosen people. And the Bible talks very clearly about the fact that there is a distinction between the two. And we're going to look at what happens because we're going to be able, if we have any Jewish friends, one of my good friends, Ori Ben Yasser, okay, allows me to talk about these kinds of things with him. And uh, I am looking forward, after this study on my own here, to talking to Ori to show him in old, because he loves the Old Testament, in Old Testament Scripture, what the prophetic writings are relative to how God is going to deal with the Christians and the Jews. And he'll, he'll listen. I don't know if he'll accept, but he'll listen. And so our Jewish friends will have an opportunity to share with them what's going to happen. So, so we have the rapture and, and believers are going to be taken up with Jesus. Don't worry. We're going to get to whether or not you have whether you're alive or or you have died uh, or it's before the tribulation. Oh, what's the tribulation? 
What's a tribulation? That's, a, that's what what? That's when all heck breaks loose. Hmm. Well, okay, so there's a couple of halves of the tribulation, but what is the tribulation generally in the Bible? Okay, so it's a period of time where all heck breaks loose, generally. And we have to know that. And who's going to go through the tribulation? Oh, no, that's a good question. That's, that's your question. That's a good question, isn't it? It's an excellent question. Who's going through the tribulation? It depends on your, it depends on your interpretation of what God's word says. We have to look at that. We need to take a look at it. It's important to know. Because I'll tell you what, if any of you are writing anything on those papers about fear, and if you're a believer and you think that you're going to be going through the tribulation where Satan is going to have his way, I'd be scared to death. Yeah. Aren't the believers going to be taken out? Amen, sister. (laughs) But we're going to see what God's Word says about that. Okay. Because... I have Christian friends that think that we're going to go that that, that believers are going to go through the tribulation, mm-hmm. and I I have good Christian friends that say nope, ain't going to happen. <laughs> we'll go right to Scripture, where it says that the church is going to be raptured out and people are going to be left behind. So you heard me talk about the left behind series, Tim LaHaye, who I don't agree with theologically in many many ways, and yet at the same time he wrote a very popular novel series about about end times. And it was fascinating. I read them all. It was a great read. I enjoyed reading it. It was, uh, it was like, um, it was fun. It, it wasn't theologically sound in some ways, but it was, it, was a, it was a novel. I don't mind reading novels, even if they're not theologically totally correct. So I can see through that. So we have the tribulation period. What about Armageddon? These are terms that we're going to have to come to terms with. Okay. What is Armageddon? Yeah, it's a big. It's like the battle to end all battles. Okay, so Armageddon in the Bible is nothing more than just a uh, just a big battle, and so uh, we know about resurrection, don't we? Okay, Jesus was resurrected. Who else will be resurrected? All the dead in Christ. All the dead in Christ. Okay, theology according to Marvin, all the dead in Christ were going to be. I have that on good terms. Okay, he's on good authority. Marvin says that all the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected. Mm-hmm. And guess what? He's right. Okay? So, what? Oh. Yeah, that's true. But, but we're going to take a look at that again, Olivia, because we're going to be, we're going to be in... We're, we're going to be in that intermediate state of heaven. If you died the, tonight, God forbid, if, if it was his plan to take you home tonight, you can rest assured that you are going to be with Christ. Mm-hmm. And you are going to be in an intermediate state, not with a glorified body. And later, after, depending on your, the position that you're going to come down on, and you're going to know, you got to wait a few weeks. But we're going to learn at what point will you have been then resurrected with a fully glorified body and be in a glorified state. So you're in limbo? Okay. No, it's not limbo. It's not limbo. It's a very bad choice of words because it's, that's very Catholic. 
and we can't and we can't go there. That that's okay. Our Catholic friends uh, um, need a. There there is no purgatory. Uh, there 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 is there is no. We are in an intermediate state of heaven. Okay, and and we do not have our glorified bodies at that point, and we're going to look at that in end times. Uh oh, starting to get a little confusing. It won't be. Trust me, it won't be. Trust me. That's why you got to. That's why you got to stick with this. Okay, you got to stick with it because as we go through each one of these events, you're going to see how they play out because you will be you will be comforted when you identify the position that you take. Because you already know the outcome. You will be in a glorified state and we will be in, uh, in, we will be living, God will be living with us as it was originally designed. See, we can take that to the bank. The scary part is, and what's confusing is, what happens between now and then? That's what we're going to, that's eschatology. Eschatology is going to get you comfortable with what happens between now and then. The then is already cast in concrete and there's no there there is no discussion about it. There is no controversy about it. We are going to spend an eternity with the Lord. Period. In a state that we can't comprehend because we're sin natured now and we won't be then, but we don't know what that's like. It's impossible for me to understand that, but I desire it. I desire it. And then, and then the Antichrist. We have to deal with the Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? Is Satan the Antichrist? Who is the Antichrist? I was listening to John Hagee today. John Hagee believes that the... John Hagee is a preacher... And he has a really big church in Dallas, and he's quite popular, and he is an eschatology nutcase. I mean, he is, that's his whole thing, is Israel and eschatology, and he believes that the Antichrist, meaning the person that is going to rule the world, the one world order, already is living on the earth today, and he also believes, heard him say it today, I heard John Hagee say, that the end times will be concluded, meaning that the Antichrist and the tribulation will take place in the next 20 years. His mouth to, to the interviewer today. Fascinating. I can't find that in Scripture, but John Hagee said so. And, and we're going to look at that. You heard that and so, years ago. Sure. Yeah, we heard it 20 years ago, and people 120 years ago, they heard it, and people 420 years ago, they heard it too, and yet none of it's happened yet, right? right. That's really interesting. And so some people say that Barack Obama is the Antichrist. Some say that Putin is the Antichrist. Some people say that uh, Pope Francis is the Antichrist. Be very wary and very careful when people start naming names. Okay? Names and dates. And what is what about the millennium? We have to talk about the millennium. There's a thousand years where Christ is going to reign on the earth. Not reign, R-A-I-N, but reign, the other kind of reign. He'll be sitting on the throne on the earth for a thousand years, and it'll be a time of peace and prosperity. The Bible says so. That's interesting. We have to take a look at that millennium. 
and, and what it means. And how is God going to deal with Israel and the church? And who are the 144,000? You read that in Scripture? Who are those guys? <laughs> Jewish evangelists. Okay? And then, there's a, then the Bible talks about there's a couple of witnesses besides the 144. And by the way, when are they hanging out? Are they hanging out during the tribulation? Is that pre-post-trib? We've got to find that out. We need to know. It's going to be important to know who those 144,000 are. Why are they there? What are they going to do? And are we going to be there? Ah, the horsemen. And what about the judgments? What about the judgments that are going to come? When do those judgments come? Some of you have been going through a long... A very long, um, um, uh, um, in, intensive study of the Book of Revelation with Kurt, Kurt Soa, and now I haven't been there, but you've been doing it for 112 years now. So I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm assuming that it's, I'm assuming that it's very in depth, and that's great, and you've learned a lot about about the the the, the judgments that. That uh, that John talks about in the in the book of Revelation, and some of that stuff's scary, isn't it? Okay, but it's only scary if you don't understand it. It's not scary if you understand it, and so um, and we have to talk about what God's covenant is, because if God wasn't in covenant with us, His bride, okay, if He wasn't in covenant with us, we better pack it up and go home and just and and crawl under the bed, because it's going to get ugly. For those that are not in covenant with God, it is it is not pretty. The only people that need to be scared about any of this are those that are not believers. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, I would suggest to you, you need to be scared. If you have, you need not be. And we're going to see that. And it will be clear. Yeah. It will be clear. Because there's the great white throne judgment. There's heaven. There's hell. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth that we that we heard about when we studied heaven. And there are there are uh, crowns and rewards. You realize that there are crowns and rewards, and pretty much everybody sitting in this room is going to have some of each crowns and rewards. Because at the end of the day, really, what does God want to know? So I'm going to ask us one question. Yep. By the way, he's going to know that because we will be standing in front of him as believers, and he's going to say. By the way, what'd y'all do? I think he's got a Texas accent. Um, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Trying to lighten it up just a little bit. But I think he's going to ask, what did y'all do with what I gave you? What, what, you, What did you do with what I gave you? Because he gave us time. How'd we use it? He gave us talent. You know, every gift that you have came from God. What did you do with that? Any resources. There's nothing that we possess that didn't come from God. So what'd you do with it? That's what he wants to know. That's all. That's going to be the judgment. And finally, so what? Does this matter? Does it matter, Diana? It matters. Matters. That is the right answer.
Anybody want to share a question that they might have that they've written down or a fear or a concern? And if and if you and if that if that goes beyond um, where you want to go, that's okay too. Hmm. You know, I was thinking of your, um, I hope that none of us get too bogged down in trying to figure out things that we lose. Really, the essential of building relationship with Jesus through this study, because it, this should bring us closer to the Lord and a closer expectancy and, and desire to serve Him. And we, can, we can get caught in, in all this details or information thing where we lose a emphasis or a desire or a heart kind of uh, connection with the Lord. And Robert, uh, I think that's an excellent point. And we, um, if you ever want to have some fun, and I don't recommend this for everybody uh, because it can be scary too, uh, go on the internet and Google end times. It's, it, it is unbelievable what you will find. And um, uh, I, I, again, I don't recommend it for the faint of heart because there are a lot of people that have a lot of really bad stuff that they put on the Internet uh, that is, that is uh, 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 it's doctored up to make it look like it's actually fundamental Christian doctrine and it's, and it's horrific. It's all, it's all really bad. And so where do we end up having to go for, for the information that we need to have a solid foundation for our eschatology? That's it. That's it. Because you see, God in the past spoke to people either directly, Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay. Who else? Moses. He had direct interaction with people. And then... Later on, these are called dispensations. So different periods of time, God has done different things in different ways for the same purpose. And at other times, God spoke to people in, uh, through prophets. And then at other times, he spoke to people in the Bible through dreams and visions. Okay? And some, I've heard some people say that they've had a dream or a vision that, that, that um, perhaps did come from God. Um, he, he still does that. Um, and what does he mostly use now during this time? His word, his word. And it's fascinating to me because if you stop and think about that for just a moment, God gave us his word. And how long has how long have we as people had God's word at at our disposal? Not very long. Okay, so Jesus, 2000 years ago, said a whole lot of stuff. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they were on parchments. And they were scribes copied them, and there were very few copies, and only priests were able to have access to them, and the people didn't. And what's happening now? There is an explosion of Christianity around the world because God's Word is now available where it never was before and God speaks to people through His Word and it, it, it just so amazes me when people say, I want to hear from the Lord and they haven't opened their Bible in years. <laughs> haven't opened their Bible in years and they wonder why they're not hearing from the Lord. The Lord speaks other ways too, but primarily through His Word. It's a supernatural thing. 
Whenever you pick up, I don't care if it's electronic or otherwise, it is a supernatural book. It is supernatural. So, are we in the end times? Okay. Yes? Nadine shaking her head. Yes? Steve, yes? Any no's? How about don't know's? Okay, there's a don't know, a don't know, a don't know, a don't know. Okay, that's good. That's a good answer. Because, really, how do you know if we're in the end times? In the beginning of what? So, your position is is that the end times started at creation? Okay. Okay, at the crucifixion of Christ, that's when you think that the end times started? Anybody else? The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. That was a long time ago. Some of us weren't even born then. Oh. Because in the Bible, in the New Testament, and I've read it, but I can't tell you where I've read it, they're saying the end is near. The, the, uh, probably Paul was saying that to the churches, the end is coming, the end is near. Then. And when was that? Right after Christ died. So sometime between 33 AD and 70 or 80 AD. Wow. They're saying the end is near. Well, open your Bibles. Just randomly, and we'll pick something. Open your Bibles to uh, go to the back. Second Timothy three. Second Timothy three. Now, you have no idea how difficult this has been for me to spend um, a, a, an hour talking without looking up Scripture. Because, <laughs> because I'm usually a Scripture nut. So prepare yourself next week for flipping around in Scripture because we're going to use Scripture. We can't do any of this without going to God's Word. And there's a lot about the end times in God's Word. Second Timothy 3. One through five, and I'm just going to read it from the from the ESV. Okay, so it'll be slightly different than your NIV translation, but but very close. Second Timothy three one through five. But understand. Oh, by the way, when was Second Timothy written generally? At the end of the Apostle Paul's life. Okay, so it wasn't recently. Okay, so it wasn't in the last hundred years or so. All right, that's one. Okay, sometime before 70 A.D. He says this, But understand this, that in the last days, you can underline that and say end times if you want to, because we'll use those two terms interchangeably. Last days, end times. There will come uh, times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, 
unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but but denying its powers, avoid such people. In the end times... Has anybody turned on the television lately? No. I don't even watch it anymore. I turned it off when Obama came. Okay, so... Okay. We're going to look at these in, in, in a little bit more depth in a minute. As long as, we're, as long as we're in Timothy, just go back one book to 1 Timothy. First, everybody's greedy. That's the way. So, so Pat says, but that's been the way that mankind has always been. For how long, Pat? <laughs> as long as Pat's been alive, and and since Pat is is Adam's brother, it's been pretty much. <laughs> It's been forever, hasn't it? That's sin nature, isn't it? What What is Second Timothy three one through five describing? Sin. Sin. All right. So, uh oh, all of a sudden, Steve O's sounding kind of right because sin has been around how long, Steve? Since the apple got eaten. All right. Hold on to that. Hold on to that thought now, because Steve said from the beginning. You said that you thought maybe it was from when Christ was crucified. All right, let's go to 1 Timothy 4.1. Somebody read 1 Timothy 4.1 nice and loudly if you could. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? Is that 4.1? No. 1 Timothy 4.1. I don't know my numbers for a <laughs> I didn't teach me. That's a great scripture, though. <laughs> uh, the Scourge clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So, let me ask you this. Anybody have any experience with false teaching in the church and people bailing out of their faith? Uh-oh. No comment. So, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Does it seem as though it's trending up? Did it happen in Jesus' day? Yeah, there were, I remember a story about thousands that just bailed on him, and then he went to his disciples and said, You bailing too? Yeah. So, I don't know, is that Steve's theology a little, or is that closer to Pat's theology? Mm-hmm. I don't know, let's keep reading. Matthew 24, 7. We're talking about, are we in the end times? We're going to look at two passages. In fact, Matthew 24, 6 and 7. Let's look at both of those. Matthew 24, 6, and 7. You will hear of war 
knowledge and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Matthew says, what's going to happen? Things that are going on right now. (laughs) All right. There's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars. That's really interesting to me because there almost can't be a case today where there's a rumor of a war because the information age is so rapid that we know almost everything that's going on everywhere all the time now, don't we? With 24-hour news cycles and whatnot. But it says there's wars and there's rumors of wars. And then Matthew says, but don't be alarmed. Hmm. Because that must take place. And then he says that nation will rise up against nation. All right. The end times. What's happening in the old... Pick a geographic location of your choice where wars and rumors of wars and kingdoms against kingdoms. Where is that taking place pretty regularly right now? The Middle East. Eastern Europe. Israel. See, the Hagees of the world, the John Hagees, Uh, And those that are real in time, uh, can I use this word? Fanatics um, say that everything that's happening in the Middle East points to the end times right now. Because, and we're going to look at this because we have to determine whether these guys are are nut jobs or is it real? Okay? And I'm not going to suggest that they're nut jobs, but I think we have to take a look at what does the Bible say? I'm not really all that interested in what John Hagee has to say unless I confirm it against what the Bible has to say. And if it lines up with what the Bible, I'm all in. And if it doesn't, I'm all out. That's all. Because the Bible is the final authority, not John Hagee or me or anybody else. So having said that, are there wars? Rumors of wars? All right. How about, how about earthquakes? How about, um, you know, first... First Peter, uh, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it real quick. First uh, Peter seven and eight. First um, Peter four seven and eight says this: uh, the end of all things is near. When was First Peter written? Oh, sometime before seventy A.D. First Peter says the end of things is near. Is that time? Okay. Perspective of time. So there is time. Their time is different than our time. They, oh, God's time. Okay. One day could be a thousand years. Because I'm, when Peter was writing this, I'm sure that he when he looked at his wrist sundial. Sure, he did. He didn't have a he didn't have a Casio at the time, and so he, he looked at his sundial and he and he was dealing with time. Because they were praying three day, three times a day at that time, so they had to know what time it was. So it was important for him to know what three o'clock in the afternoon was, because he had to get on his knees and pray. That's what they, that's what, you know, the Jews 
did and still do that. So, uh, but anyway, he says the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Be ready for the purpose of prayer. Be of sound mind because the end is near. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. We are all familiar with that scripture, aren't we? Oh, love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? And so, no one knows the time of the events that are going to transpire. And yet, William Miller in the 1840s, who was the who in New York was an evangelist preacher that people would have thought, you and I would have thought that, hey, this is a good guy. Um, he started predicting dates. And yet they came up, uh, he came up with more than one date that Jesus was going to come. And it didn't happen. And so it became known as the Great Disappointment in the 18. <laughs> in the 1840s because everybody was disappointed. So when somebody tells you a date that Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to return, run. Not to Jesus. Run away from the guy that's telling you the date. Okay? Because what happened from that period of time in the 1840s? Well, Mr. Miller spurred off because they split because it was the great disappointment because he was obviously a false teacher. And so guess what came from that movement? Charles Taz Russell. You know, remember who he is? The founder of the Watchtower Society, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Guess what he predicted? Jesus' return. Many times. It didn't happen. And then, uh, and then we can, now, you want to zoom forward? How about Hal Lindsey? Anybody know the late great planet Earth and Hal Lindsey? He's on TV all the time. A lot of people like to listen to Hal Lindsey. Okay? Well, Hal Lindsey said that Jesus was coming in 1988. And then when he didn't, he said, no, I got that wrong, but it'll be before 2000. And he's still a popular guy on the television. You know me, I kind of bold. Turn him off. Just turn him off. Because that is a false prophet. And that is a false teacher. And Paul Crouch from TBM, God rest his soul, wherever he may be. Paul Crouch said that Jesus was going to return on June 9th, 1994. But it didn't happen. And then we have other people. Has anybody ever heard of uh, Harold Camping? Yeah. And Harold, you know, a good, solid, evangelical Christian teacher. He died at the age of 93 last year. And he predicted Jesus was going to come at least, at least three different times. Yeah. In fact, if you will remember, uh, Jesus was supposed to come on May 21st in 2011 when he was still alive and he took his own money and put billboards up in Times Square and all over the place and said repent the, t- the end is near the Bible says that, Je- that Jesus doesn't even know that's exactly right and where is that scripture Matthew twenty four thirty six. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Woo! It's, the, it's, it's, it's a walker thing. It's a walker thing. And so people have been predicting that Jesus is going to come for years and years and years. And so the Bible says 
And we look at six scriptures here that says there are certain things that are going to happen at the end times or at, at the, the time of the end or the last days. So let me... Susan, question. Is it not the case that in some parts of the Bible, some of these verses are speaking specifically to Jews at a specific time, whereas they're also speaking to us at a different time? Yes. But it's the same verse, the same context. That is correct. And so when we... uh, uh, That takes a little explanation. But... To the extent that we are trying to identify whether or not we are living in the end times or the last days, I use these scriptures so that you can see that in Matthew and in Luke and in the Gospels specifically and many other places throughout the New Testament, the word, the end times, the last days, um, the time is near. Those types of phrases are used 2,000 years ago when they were written. And yet, the specificity is that these things must happen. Earthquakes, famines. And so you have to ask yourself a question. Do we have earthquakes today? Yes. Are there more of them than there were 2,000 years ago? I don't know. I don't know. They didn't have a Richter scale and they didn't have they didn't the weatherman wasn't keeping track. Okay? Are there famines today? Do more people die in famines today than they did in Jesus's time? I think so. I I think so. Just in sheer numbers, because there's more of us. The famines are more severe in terms of people that are dying. And go to the Sudan and see how many children die every day right now because they're bloated and they don't have anything to eat or drink. It's horrific. The numbers are staggering. The numbers are staggering. So as you look at what God's Word says relative to the things that are going to happen, I I would challenge you... To be cautious, to be cautious, because Pat, who am I to say that there are more earthquakes now than there were? They are more severe than they were. There are more famines than there were. There are more people dying of famines than there were. Where do we go to establish the definition of for what God's word is talking about to measure. The real question on the table is, are we in the are we in the end times? Because we have to come to terms with that before we jump next week into eschatology, because if we are not in the end times, then 
What is, what is time? What did Jesus mean when he said that these things have to happen and then they be, will be like birth pains? But if we're Christians, there, there really is no end time. The end times, then, we need to define, then, don't we? Because the end of what time? Okay. The end, but but the end of what time? What? But Linda said what? Time is, time is relative. But the end of what? Is that what the Bible is talking about when it talks about the end times? Is that what we're going to study? The end of our life? No. No. When? Okay. When? What's going to happen when Jesus comes back, Dale? That is a very, very good answer. <laughs> Things are going to be radically different, correct? And the Bible tells us what it's going to be like. And we're going to be studying the order in which these things are going to happen. And we need to understand them. And that's what tonight was really all about, is just kind of a setup to build a foundation so that we can begin working on it. Because if we're in the end times, what's going to end? The world as we know it is going to end. And the new world that that who ushers in, Dale? Jesus. The new world is going to be ushered in. And so the end times is that period in which this big big theological word now, in which we are in, in this dispensation, and that's what's happening right now. God is moving and working in His way in this time for the establishment of what? The new kingdom. His kingdom. Okay? And so... Okay, and we're going to look at that. And, and, and we will look at that, Pat, because who's going to live forever, Pat? Who's going to live forever? Huh? Oh, okay. Well, not on this earth. No. No. You're going to. Simple as that. Everybody, everybody will share an eternity. It's, the question is where. And so there will be this new, the new heaven, the new earth, and we're going we're gonna to quit now. But we have this new heaven and this new earth, and we are going to live for an eternity with Jesus. And the foundation, this is just the beginning, and now we're going to get into, because next week we start with meat. Okay? What we're talking about is the end times. We are in the end, we are in the end times. Okay? We are in the end times, and the, when, when the Bible says that the time is near, it means the time is near. Okay. That's right. And sometime in the next couple of weeks, Olivia, you are going to feel really comfortable coming down on a position of whether or not the rapture of the church could happen tomorrow or whether or not it has to wait until after the tribulation period that we're going to study. You're going to you're going to come down and you're going to have a position on that. 
because okay, what is your hope? I hope it's first. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, sister. Amen, sister. And and therefore that is eschatology, and we are going to look at what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. Not when and date. When in order it is going to happen, and we are going to look at the different positions, and and we are going to take a position. And that's my hope for all of us in the room: is that we will get really comfortable with that, so that the fear goes away. There should be no fear when we have God's word uh, in us. Okay, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gaining wisdom and insight as only can come through Him. When we get done with all of this, you are going to be equipped to be able to share with people that if they would put their faith in Christ, they're going to be able to avoid a lot of damage. And you're going to be able to name that damage. Okay? And we're in the end times. It doesn't matter when it started, by the way. But we are in the end times. Amen? All right, thanks for listening. Next week, we are going to jump in to eschatology. And we are going to be taking a look at the rapture. And we are going to be taking a look at the tribulation. And we are going to be taking a look at prophecy and when does the resurrection take place. And we're not going to do all that in a week. 